Amen. Good morning, everyone. Thanks, Ben Kai. You guys staying cool out there? No, you're not. No, but in here, love the AC. What a blessing. Uh, at Hess Park today, yes, bring plenty of water. We'll just, we'll just see how long we last. We'll, we'll just see how long we last. So bring food. Uh, we'll bring uh, a kickball. We'll have a little game out there. I guess it's see how long the kids last, you know, so... Um, but we'll be at the picnic tables just right off the parking lot. Join us after service around 1230. It would be great. But let's uh, get into God's Word today. Open your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 3. It has been an exciting series so far through the book of Nehemiah. And what we're already seeing are the many ways that the truths of this story are coming right up to our present experience as a church body And so there's these lessons, right, that we can learn and apply uh, from this book that that happened so many years ago, and yet they apply right up to what God is doing in our midst today. And uh, this morning, as we enter into Nehemiah chapter 3, we're going to learn this valuable lesson of working together as God's people, that we might build something that would be pleasing to God. So... With your Bible open to Nehemiah chapter 3, let me just set the stage, kind of going back just a little ways of what we've seen in chapter 1 and 2. So we know that God's good hand was upon Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is the leader of the story, and he was a humble cupbearer who received this intense burden to go back to Jerusalem, the city of his father's. And to rebuild, to rebuild what was ruined. And the hand of God was evident upon Nehemiah's life when King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, sent Nehemiah with all the necessary provisions for him to rebuild Jerusalem. And look, you got to understand that King Artaxerxes had no real reason at all to be sympathetic toward the Jewish people. And yet God had prepared the king's heart in order that he would show favor toward Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah leaves Persia, and upon arrival in Jerusalem, about an 800-mile journey, he sets out secretly in the night to investigate the condition of the city of Jerusalem. And look, it was probably worse than he had imagined. Nehemiah had not seen the city up until this point, and he had only been praying about it and, and asking God that he would send him, but now he is there and he sees that the work is huge, almost overwhelming. But Nehemiah knew that his great and awesome God was behind the work. And, and as we've already seen, that opposition has already started to rise up in this story, and these men, Sambalat and Tobiah, who were critics of the work that Nehemiah would do, Nehemiah knew that in spite of that opposition, God was going to prosper his people. And so chapter two ended with Nehemiah giving the people a charge to set their hands to the work of rebuilding Jerusalem. He said, come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem. And there was this wonderful response from the people where they said, let us rise up and build. And it says that the people strengthened their hands for the good work that was ahead. And in a very similar way, if you were with us last week, I gave the charge to our church last Sunday for us to come together, for us to rise up and to build this church uh, 
and to see that God is doing a work here, that his hand is upon us. And I spoke about how um, we will be likely moving to two services here in our near future. And the reason for this is because God has his blessing upon this church, and, and this church is growing, and, and, and that's a good thing, isn't it? When God's work is building, when God's people are growing, I mean, we know that lives are growing individually, and as lives grow individually, we grow collectively, and as we grow collectively, we, we, we grow in numbers because God's kingdom is advancing into the hearts of men and women and children. And so as God builds the work that he's doing here among us, we understand that with a growing church, that there are challenges that might come. And we're not naive to the challenges and the opposition that we might face, but, but that doesn't hinder us from saying, let us rise up and let us build. And so we're seeing the ways that God is leading us as a church, that he is leading us toward a continued progress to see this church built upon the foundation that is Jesus Christ in his good news. And the wonderful thing about all of this is how many people we've been hearing say, let's do it. I'm here to help. I can serve. Let's rise up. Let's build. Amen? So as we come to chapter 3, we're going to see this great work of the wall being built. We're going to see it begin, and the work will mainly include the building of the wall and the gates that surrounded the city of Jerusalem. And in the ancient world, large cities would have these surrounding walls in order to protect themselves from enemy invasion. There would be multiple gates that were in and around the wall so that people could come in and go out of the city safely. And living in a time when there was always that threat, right, of a conquering invasion, it was required that your land and your people had this sort of protection. The previous wall that surrounded Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Babylonians when they came and took the Jews into exile. And so Jerusalem had been under foreign occupation for 70 years. There was no wall to protect it. And yet God started to bring his people back to Jerusalem under first the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel. And then after him, another wave of people came with Ezra. And now we're seeing this third wave of people come with Nehemiah. Nehemiah is part of this third group of returning exiles, and he is going to lead the charge of setting up that protection that was lacking in the early days of the exiles coming home. Now, I want to remind you of something that I stated when we began studying the book of Nehemiah, and it's this, is that when we study this book, this book Nehemiah, and really any book of, of the Bible, but especially the Old Testament, we're going to look at it in two layers. We're going to look at the historical and the physical elements of the story. We want to see the people and the places and the times and the events that took place. We want to be faithful to the historical record that the book of Nehemiah is. But we will also see the timeless spiritual truths of this story. For example, it's, it's possible for us to see that the rebuilding of the wall to protect the city from outside invasion 
how that can correspond with the spiritual reality that an individual Christian's life or, or a church needs protection in their spiritual lives, right? It's common for teachers of God's word to make the connection of the city of Jerusalem with the heart of a believer, or, or the wall being the protective barrier that would guard us from the onslaught that comes from the enemy. Because the Christian's heart soul, and mind must be guarded. You know, we have really three enemies that are in opposition to our life in Christ. You've got the world coming at you. You've got your own flesh coming at you, and you've got the devil coming at you. And so it's fundamental for the life of a believer in Christ to know what threatens you spiritually and then to be ready and able to be protected. To be able to build a life in Christ while understanding what it looks like to engage in spiritual warfare. And so as we look at chapter 3 today, we're going to read about this wall going up. In the coming weeks, we're going to read about the opposition that they face as they did so. We're going to read how those who set their hands to the work of rebuilding the wall, that there's going to be all of these names that are listed. And they're going to be names that I'm going to try my hardest to pronounce, right? And at first look, Nehemiah chapter 3 might seem like there's not much for us to glean on the spiritual level. It, it, it looks like this long list of names, almost like a genealogy, but I'm praying that as we dive into it, God would open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see the spiritual truths that are within it. And so I hope to show this morning as we get into it that there are many things that this chapter are going to speak right up to our present time. That, that God's word is going to speak to us today as a local church. That, that God is doing something here at Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes. Do you see it? And are you in on it? Do you have your hands on the work? Today we want to see how God is doing a great work in our midst, but how that work can only happen as a body of believers comes together and get their hands on the work. So as a pastor, I'm aware that my job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That my job is to help you get started in the work of God, to help you keep going in the work of building God's kingdom. And let me tell you that there is a lot of ministry that can be done in this church. I know that we might not always, uh, you know, be here, that there's our coming and our going, our entering and our exiting, and I even just saw out of the corner of my eye the Holland family who's moving. This is your last Sunday, but you've gotten your hands on the work in this church, and we love you, and we know you're going to Oklahoma, and you're going to get your hands on the work there, Amen. And so whether you're coming or you're going, we want to see that this is a body of believers who work together to advance the gospel. And so, we're going to be challenged today. You guys ready to get challenged? We're going to get challenged to get our hands on the work. So that's quite enough of an introduction. Let's get into it. Verse 1 says this, then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower 
of Hananel. So we're first introduced to this guy, Eliashib. He's the high priest and his brothers who were also priests of Israel. And they were given the specific duty of building the sheep gate. They consecrated it and they set its doors. And the priests during that time were the spiritual leaders of Israel. They were the pastors, if you will. They were those who had this unique priestly duty of of representing the people of Israel before a holy God. God gave certain requirements for the Jews in their worship of him. And the priests were the ones to carry out that worship. And in the new covenant, as we learned in 1 Peter, that we are a priesthood of all believers, that, that every one of us are a priest through Jesus Christ. Yet in the old covenant, it was a select group of priests that were consecrated to God that would perform sacrifices in worship to God. There are many different kinds of sacrifices in the Old Testament, but ultimately, it was the blood sacrifice that God required for the forgiveness of sins for his people. We read, for instance, in Leviticus 17, 11, says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So, a type of sacrifice that was often upon the altar, especially for atonement, the covering of sins, was a sheep. It was a costly sacrifice. It was one that the Lord even required for the day of atonement that happened once a year. It was to be a lamb that was without blemish, and it was the high priest who was the one to offer it up. And the priest, therefore, was given that very important section of the wall. Eliashib, the high priest, was given the responsibility of building the sheep gate. Now, why is it called the sheep gate? Well, the reason for this is because it was the place where the sheep would enter into the city in order to be prepared for sacrifice. There was water in this area, and so the priest would wash the sheep before offering it as a sacrifice. And there are so many connections, you guys, here for the person and the work of Jesus. You know, Jesus is our Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is also the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. He is also the high priest of a better covenant. Look at what it says in Hebrews 7.27 about Jesus, our high priest. He has no need like those high priests, like Eliashib, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. This is so beautiful because what we see here of Jesus is that he is both the high priest and the blood offering in one person. And here's also what I see applied in this first mention of the work that is being done on the wall. It's the first task that is given, and it shows us that the first work of any true work of God must begin with sacrifice. A person can only come into relationship with God 
and begin to serve him by entering through the gate of his son who gave himself as a sacrifice. So Jesus is both the offer and the offering that allows us to be accepted before God. And there was a priority set here. This was the first work that took place in the building of the wall. And as Christians, as a church, we understand that it is the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. That he died on a cross to atone for our sins by his blood sacrifice. And that he was buried and on the third day he rose from the dead so that we can enter into this new covenant of eternal life where we are promised entrance into the new Jerusalem through his gates. Amen? Amen. So the truth is to remain at the beginning and the end that it all begins and ends with sacrifice. It all begins and ends with Jesus who is both our high priest and our Lamb of God. So that's where the wall began. And guess what? That's where it's going to end. The end of chapter 3, we're going to see it all circles back to the sheep gate, showing us that Jesus is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now the other thing I'd like to mention is this, is that the spiritual leaders in Israel where we see here Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests were the first to set their hands to the physical labor, which, you know, any good spiritual leader, you know, Nehemiah is a great book about spiritual leadership. And a principle here is that any spiritual leader is one who will be an example and join in on the work with the people. Not one who stands back, not one who lords it over the people, but one who is in on the midst of the work. I never want to be a leader where I don't have my own hands on the work. And so if you desire spiritual leadership, it looks like this. You're first in and you're last out. That's how Eliashib ran the show for himself. And then in verse two, it says, next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri built. Now, what we're going to see repeated again and again throughout this chapter are these phrases, next to him, next to them, after him, after them. These phrases that bring connection are mentioned 28 times in this chapter. And it shows us a very important principle, which is that the work of God cannot be done alone. Notice that chapter 3 is not all about the work that Eliashib and the priests did. The work was not done just by those in full-time ministry, if you will. Everyone was included in the work, people from all different kinds of backgrounds, and we see these connecting phrases, next to, after, beside, and they show us that important fact that we work together. Each person does their own portion in the work in order to complete the whole. And so this great work of building, and for us, what are we building? We are building God's church, the bride of Christ, and we get to do it next to one another, next to your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We are a big spiritual family that participates in the work that God is doing on the earth, and we get to do it together. That there is the largest lesson that we're going to see in this chapter, that every person is to be involved in the work of ministry. 
Everyone has a job to do in serving the Lord in his church. See, the, the, the wall would have been too much for any one person or even just a few people to do. Everyone had to set their hand to the work. Now, let me just give you a little question that you could do for homework. Is this, is how long did it take for the people to complete the wall around Jerusalem? How many days did it take? And when you find out the answer, you have to ask yourself this question. Could that have been done if only a few people were doing the work? When we're working together, there's no limit to what God can accomplish in the work of the Lord, and that's what we're going to see. Now, let's look at verses 3 and 4. It says, the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakoz, repaired. And next to him, Meshalem, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshazabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, son of Banah, repaired. Wow, I did pretty good on those names. <laughs> we'll see how I do it through the rest of the chapter. There was... There was a variety of work, right, that needed to be done on the wall, and a lot of the building was done on the gates that were in the wall. We're going to see 10 gates in total, the entrances and the exits of the city. We see the sheep gate in verse 1, the fish gate in verse 3, the yashana or the old gate in verse 6. The valley gate in verse 13, the dung gate in verse 14, the fountain gate in verse 15, the water gate in verse 26, diff different water gate, the horse gates, <laughs> the horse gate in verse 28, the east gate in verse 29, and the mifkad or the mustard gate in verse 31. Now look. There could be spiritual illustrations that are made for each one of those gates. Commentators have suggested some pretty colorful ideas that would speak to these different meanings found within the gate. And we're not going to do that this morning for every gate, but, but I thought, you know, I shared the sheep gate with you because I thought, man, I want to preach that it all has to begin and end with Jesus. I, I could talk about the fish gate, how it was the entrance for the coastal cities to bring the fish into the city, and how we're to be fishers of men, but again, we're not gonna do that today, okay? If you want, that's a good and worthy study, seeing how all the gates point to Christ. And this is a good question that we have to ask. When studying the Bible, when are we to be literal and when are we to be spiritual? This goes into what I'm saying about there being two layers of meaning, but here's what we need to know, guys, is that when we're reading our Bibles, and for anyone who loves the Word of God, all Scripture points us to Jesus. You know, after Jesus rose from the dead, he walked with two of his disciples along a road called Emmaus, and he spoke through all the Scriptures telling them of the ways that they testified about him. And so if it interests you to, dis to discover how all the different gates represent the person and the work of Christ, it's a worthy study. But again, this morning, we're going to see a different thing. We're going to see how the people worked together. That's what the Lord's put on my heart for us to really capture from this chapter. So verse 5 says, next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Uh-oh, <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, I thought, I thought you just said everyone got involved in the work. Well, not technically. 
There was one small group of people who didn't do any of the work. And they, fortunately, they're forever mentioned in Scripture as those who didn't get the blessing of being involved in the work. Most of the people of Tekoa repaired some section of the wall, and we're actually going to see later that they even did additional work once they had finished their own portion. But it says that their nobles did not stoop to serve their Lord. Other translations say that they did not put their shoulder into the work. That's an interesting phrase used, to to stoop or to put your shoulder into the work. It comes from this idea of yoking animals for labor. See, an animal needs to submit. An animal needs to bend down its neck and shoulder in order to be strapped into the plow and to begin doing the work. But it says here that the nobles did not submit themselves to the work. They would not stoop. Why? Well, they were called nobles. Perhaps they thought of themselves as superior. It speaks of how people often don't serve in the work of God because it is rooted in a lack of humility. That they would not stoop to, you know, laying bricks on a wall. They were too busy doing more important things, more noble tasks. And that's a bummer. I mean, it's a bummer because they did not get the great blessing of being able to say, I helped build that wall. They missed out on the blessing of being mentioned in the Bible as people who worked hard to contribute something that pleased God. So I think it's a great question that we should ask ourselves, every single one of us. If a chapter in the Bible were written about the work of God in the South Bay, would your name be mentioned and what would it say? That's a humbling question to ask. Now verses six and seven says, Joyada, the son of Pasheya, and Meshalem, the son of Besodea, repaired the gate of Yeshina. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonites, and Jadon, the Maranothites, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. If anyone's looking for some good baby names, here's the place to find them. (laughs) You know, this chapter is largely composed of names. Why? Well, it's because God cares for people and not just projects. Listen, when I'm talking about the work of building the church, I'm hardly talking about the physical work. You know, like the setting up of chairs or the making the morning pot of coffee, as valuable and needful as those things are. More importantly, when we talk of building up the church, we're, we're talking about the building up of people's lives in Christ and the building up of a community that is centered around the name of Jesus. See, a church requires people. Without people, there is no church. That's why this is a list of names and not just a project list. See, God sees people. When God sees the church, he doesn't see a building. He sees the people in the building. You know, this is the church, and these are the, this is the steeple. You open the doors, and here's all the people. It's the people, guys. Right? 
So verse 8 says, next to them, Uziel, the son of Herahiah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. This is one of my favorite verses in this section. You've got these two guys, Uziel and Hananiah, who were tradesmen. One made gold for a living and another made perfume for a living. So you've got these two men who do jobs of working with their hands. Goldsmithing might, might be a little bit more intensive of work as you know, working with the refiner's fire, whereas perfuming might be a little bit more delicate work of extracting the scents. But they both had skills, and they were different skills, but they were each using their skills in the help of building the wall. And what I have to assume is that these people didn't stop doing their jobs of making gold and making perfume, but they worked on the wall when and where they could. And I'm sure that among us here today are are people from all different backgrounds and skills. We've got tradesmen, teachers, medical professionals, florists, technicians, realtors, bankers, restaurant workers, attorneys, graphic artists, you name it. We've got so many people who do so many different types of work, and there's a lot of people in this room who are amazing in their vocation. You're really good at what you do, and you can use those skill sets in the work of God. But notice this, I doubt that Hananiah, the perfumer, was making the wall smell nice. (laughs) This means he was working outside of his skill set. Why? Because there was a need. Sometimes your skill set can come in handy in the work of God. Other times you will help in a work that is outside of your skill set simply because it needs to be done. By the way, it says that these guys built the broad wall. That picture right there is a picture of the top of the broad wall that I took when I was in Israel this last summer. By the way, Israel's gonna be happening in spring of 2024. The dates are gonna be early April. We're locking them in, so get ready. We're going to Israel as a church. It's pretty exciting. Then in verse 9, it says, Next to them, Raphiah, the son of Ur, leader of the half-district of Jerusalem, made repairs. Next to him, Jediah, son of uh, Haramath, made repairs in front of his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashbaniah, made repairs. This first guy, uh, Raphiah, was a government leader of the half-district of Jerusalem, which means that there was this expectation that their government leaders were also to be involved in the good work of protecting their city. That government is called to work alongside the people. Then you have Jediah, and it says that he made repairs in front of his own house. Now, I think this is one that's gonna speak to where some people might be at today. Sometimes you get into a season of your life where you want to contribute. You want to get your hands on the work, but your contribution has to be what's right in front of you, like your own house. And I'm not talking about weekend projects instead of coming to church. (laughs) See, some people need to make repairs on their own home before they can think about helping repair other people's homes. 
This is certainly true for spiritual leadership, that you have to tend to your own garden before you work in the vineyard of the Lord. And we need to be sure that our marriages and our children are fortified because we, we need to understand that we need that protected before we set out and make repairs in other places. Because here's the principle, that individually protected homes add up to make a collectively protected community. If all of us were doing the work that needs to be done in our own marriages and in our own families, in our own homes, that would add up to be a community that is sanctified unto Jesus. So it has to begin in your home. And I think this also has application for people with little ones, perhaps also people with aging parents. You know, if, if you're a young parent, I think this is especially true, that there's a significant season in the life of a mother and a father where your contribution is going to be caring for your own little garden. And, and my wife and I are in that sort of season where we want to do more for the Lord, but, and we're already doing a lot, but we understand that we are in a season where we have a priority of work that is right in front of us in our home, in this season. I also have many dear friends who want to give so much of their time and energy. They want to serve in the work of God, but they have aging parents, and they know that their energy and their time needs to be spent caring for them in this season. See, there's times and seasons when caring for your house, what's right in front of you today, is a true work of God that, that by no means will, will not have its reward. But look, there comes a time when your garden is grown. There comes a time when, when, when your, your loved ones go to be with Jesus, their eternal home. And, and there comes a time when you can get involved in the work in a particular season that you find yourself in. In verses 11, 12, we read that Malkijah, the son of Harim and Hashab, the son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section as, as well as the tower of the ovens. And next to him was Shalom, the son of Helahesh, leader of the half district of Jerusalem. He and his daughters made repairs. See, Shalom brought his daughters along in the work and they together made repairs. Not just the men, but these young girls had something to do. And, and just say this, guys. Anytime that there is an opportunity to serve God as a family, do it. So good. My, my son and my daughter, we've, we've got three kids. Um, they get to help in the work of God that's happening here. That they're usually running around creating work. Um, <laughs> But there's times for them to serve as well. You know, we had our, our kids here this weekend uh, redoing the children's ministry classes, and they got to put their hands on the work of updating their own classrooms. And, and we want that. We want to disciple our children in serving the Lord. I love to see in the children's area when families serve together. 
Mothers and daughters serving together in the kids' classrooms. Mothers and daughters serving on the worship team. Fathers and sons working together to put out the signs on the street. And we get to see families working together. And one of the great blessings that we're going to have in going to two services is that there's going to be the opportunity to attend one service as a family and then to serve in another service as a family. And look, that might be a long morning at church. But it teaches our sons and our daughters that church is not just what we are getting, but what we are giving. And I've seen it. It's never too early to get your children involved in serving the Lord. They're going to learn by your example. You know, what I've seen is the most spiritually mature youth in any, in any church come from families who, whose parents taught their children at a young age what it looks like to serve God. And so if your kids are in the range of, say, middle school to high school, I encourage you to to get involved in serving on Sunday mornings together. Because here's the reality. Serving God brings blessing and joy. You're not going to regret it. I have never met a person who actively serves the Lord in their church, and they come back and they say, man, I wish I hadn't done that. So parents, get your sons and your daughters and set your hands to the work because Shalom was a father and a hardworking servant who discipled hardworking daughters who served with him as they followed his example in the work. But maybe you don't have sons and daughters. You're looking and you're like, oh, that applies to them over there. You do realize that we are the family of God, and this means that in this church, there are plenty of spiritual mothers and fathers, plenty of spiritual brothers and sisters, plenty of spiritual sons and daughters, and when we serve together at all those levels of generations, that's when the church thrives. And so in verse 13 through 14, we read, Hanun, the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They repaired it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of wall as far as the dung gates. Malkijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarem, repaired the dung gates. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. You guys all good? So we read there that there was a thousand cubits of wall that was built. That's a quarter mile of wall. See, some people will do more work than others. And notice that some work might be more difficult and some work might be more dirty. Notice the people who worked on the dung gate or the refuse gate. That was the city's trash dump. And I'm sure that the conditions at that gate were a little bit stinkier but they too set their hand to that good work. You know, I like to say that you're not a pastor until you've plunged a toilet on Sunday mornings. <laughs> then we have Malkijah, the son of Rechab. Malkijah was a guy who had past failure in the book of Ezra. He took a foreign wife to himself and he brought shame upon himself and upon God and upon his people because of his unrestrained sexual desires. But here we see him in the work of rebuilding. See, God restores people. He forgives and he restores people to good work. Perhaps 
you used to serve the Lord. But because of some failure, you feel like there's no role for you anymore in the work of God. Listen, with a heart of repentance and humility and submission, you can get back in the work again. You might start out at the dung gate. That's where Malkajah was put to work. But it was good work for the Lord, and God used him again. He didn't let past failure keep him from serving the Lord. I fear that there's people who aren't getting involved in the work of God because they look at their past and they say, I'm not good enough. (laughs) You never were good enough. We serve in his grace. We serve in his mercy. God is a God of repair. I think 32 times the word repair was used in this chapter. God repairs walls, but God repairs people. And you can be used in the work of God again. Verse 15 through 25, I'm not going to read it, but it's a lot of more names. <laughs> it's truly beautiful to see how everyone had a share in the work. Some more than others. Some needed to do careful work, work that required detail, concentration, being gifted in a certain way. Others served in the area of their own home or their neighbor's home. Some built, some repair, some dealed with water, some dealed with gardens, some made towers of defense, but everyone did what was needed for them to do. You all know this scripture probably well, Romans 12, four through eight. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in proportion to our serving, to the one who teaches in his teaching, to the one who exhorts in his exhortation, to the one who contributes in generosity, to the one who leads with zeal, to the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Church, let us use our gifts that were given to each one of us by the Holy Spirit when we believed to serve the body of Christ. Let's be reminded that the Holy Spirit has given you a gift if you have called upon Jesus as Lord and Savior. And your gift is to be used for the building up, for the edification of the body of Christ. Now, verse 26 and 27 says, the temple servants living in Ophel repaired to a point opposite the water gates on the east and projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Now, I knew I was going to go a little bit long today, so we've got like four more minutes. When a pastor says four minutes, it's like seven. You guys got seven, four, seven more minutes for me? I could stop now. We could like, I don't know, pick it up later. All right. You don't want to go outside. It's hot out there. We're in AC. Let's just hang. Okay. All right. The Tokoites, they're mentioned again. And this time they're working on another section. That's because their section of the wall, when it was finished, they came to Nehemiah and said, We're, our work's done. And I imagine Nehemiah saying, hey, you guys want to go get involved on another work? And they said, sure, put us to it. And so they go and they serve another section of the wall. I bet they were sore. 
I bet they were tired. I bet they would have liked to kick back in some AC. But, but they went and they worked. And, and especially since their nobles didn't put their shoulder to the work, the fact that it says that they kept going, that they kept working because there was more to do, it, it makes me think that there's always more service. But it makes me think about what I think is something that often happens in the church, and I don't think it's right, is that 80% of the work usually gets done by 20% of the people. That needs to shift. We need to create a culture in our church where we all get our hands on the work. And there will always be those people who just keep coming and saying, what else, what else, what else, what else, what else? That's good. That's a good quality to have. Other people, they're just going to do what's required of them and nothing more. But I think for the, God, the work of God, I think we always want to say, more Lord, more Lord. Verses 28 to 32, again, another section of names. But I want you to see at verse 32 where it ends. In between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. You guys remember where we started 40 minutes ago? It's at the Sheep Gate. And it ended there at the Sheep Gate. Where this important truth emerges is that when we're serving the Lord in ministry, it has to begin and end with Jesus. If our work is not connected to Jesus, it's meaningless and it has no reward. Now, as we end, you want me to get intensely practical with you. Because a lot of times as preachers, what we like to do is we, I, I like to just have the word speak. I like to just have the Holy Spirit stir people's hearts because I never want to put a heavy hand on people. And I hope that this message has not come across in any way as a guilt trip to get you to, you know, come stack chairs, you know? But, but I'm, I'm just saying that there is a blessing and there is a joy to be had when you get your hands on the work of God. I don't want anybody to miss out on that blessing. And so I'm going to get very direct with you for just one second. Is that there should never be a reason for why people are not bombarded on their way into church with the most epic welcome team I've ever seen. There should never be a Sunday where we're struggling to find volunteers to teach our little ones about Jesus. We can serve in the children's ministry. There should never be a time when somebody would want prayer, but no one has made themselves available to pray. You can serve as a person of prayer in this church. There should never be a time when the elders are struggling to figure out how to fulfill the calling and the vision that God has given us to build his church, but that there's not people who are living out with generosity. There should never be a time, which by the way, I found lately that our youth have been stacking chairs at the end of the day, and, and the reason I think the motivation is they want to play basketball. Isn't that right, Mark? Mark just, yes, it's so true. And, and look, whatever way that our chairs get stacked at the end of the morning, I don't care how it gets done, but there is an eternal principle. It, it is, if it's, it's not in the Bible, it should be. Many hands make light work. I, I, I'm going to search Proverbs and just comb through it. It's got to be in there. It's got to be in the Bible because that is such a true statement. Many hands make light work. We would love a few more young backs to help us set up chairs on Sunday morning at 8.45. Right, Doug? Amen. 
As we lead toward two services, we want to triple our welcome team on Sunday mornings. As we lead into two service, we want to triple our hospitality team for events. We want Leah turning people away from kids' ministry because there's so much help coming their way. We want people to get involved in work of organizing, cleaning, building, painting, media, worship, you name it. We want people to serve and to serve in this body. So go to calvarypalaceverdes.com slash serving and fill out an interest form. <laughs> cool? I just said I was gonna be really practical with you guys. I'm, I'm so excited to see my email just blow up this week with forms from calvarypalaceverdes.com slash serving. So that's how it ends. It ends at the sheep gate, which is that this is not at all a guilt trip. This is all of us coming to get, say, I want my name to be named with the people of God who put their hands to the work of God. See, God is building something, and he's a believer in putting names down in writing. God has written your name in heaven, and he is preparing reward for you in heaven. He so desires that you would labor for him because there's gonna be those who come in who have served him and have served his people, and you will hear those words Well done, good and faithful servant. Those are the words we all want to hear. So God knows you by name. He knows what you have to give. He knows if you are giving it, and he knows if you're withholding it. God wants to free you up in the power of his love and grace to be used in the work of God wherever it is that he calls upon you to do it. He wants to place you in it, and he wants to empower you to do it because there's always something for you to do in the work of God, amen? Amen, Amen. let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word, for your truth today. God, I thank you for this church. I'm amazed at how many people have their hands on this young church. God, we pray for the coming days and weeks and months and years of building for this church, for your kingdom, We're not building around anyone's name or anyone's uh, success other than the name of Jesus and the success of Jesus. The work begins at the sheep gate with Jesus, who is both our high priest and our sacrifice. And it all is going to end there when we come to the throne of God and we see the Lamb of God who was pierced. And and all glory, all honor, and all praise for what we've built goes to him. And we'll cast our crowns at his feet and we'll worship him. So God, I pray for your church today. Let us be stirred up today to serve you in faith and in grace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.